Recently, Harold Camping issued a prophecy saying that the world would come to an end and the church would be raptured on May the 21st. Well, obviously, that did not happen. And so he miscalculated, he said, and the actual date is going to be five months later, October 21, instead of May 21. I really don't understand why people make such prophecies, because when they do, they diminish the importance or erode the importance of the second coming of Christ and the truth of that doctrine. It does seem to me that when calculations are being made concerning the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, the end of the world, at least the Bible should be consulted. And I would recommend a couple of verses, Matthew 24, verses 35 and 36, which says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So the Bible very clearly, very plainly tells us, that no one knows when the end is going to come apart from the Father alone. This, however, is not the first time there has been miscalculation concerning the return of Christ. In fact, during New Testament times, the Thessalonians were concerned and confused about the return of the Lord or the day of the Lord. What was happening to them at that time is that they were being persecuted because of their faith. Because of that persecution, they believed that they were living during the tribulation period. Apparently, someone sent a letter saying that Jesus had already returned and signed Paul's name to it. As a result of this miscalculation, many of them stopped working. They just began to sit around waiting for the return of Christ or for the end of all things. It was to them, the Apostle Paul said, if you do not work, you do not eat. Paul then wrote to the Thessalonians his second letter. And the purpose for that letter was to encourage them to remain faithful in their faith. And he said some encouraging things to them. He said that their faith was growing. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he said, your faith is greatly enlarged. And then he also commended them for their love for each other that was abounding. Paul wrote, the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. And he said also to them that their perseverance was increasing. Your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions. So he wrote Second Thessalonians then to encourage them in their commitment to the Lord during a difficult time in their lives. Now today we're going to look at the rapture and see what the Bible has to say. Let me say to you that I am presenting it with a premillennial interpretation because that is the way that I understand Scripture. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, 
that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction." who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, ladies and gentlemen, one day I believe the church is going to be raptured. I believe that is going to happen one day, that the church will be raptured. Now, there are two parts to the removal of the church. First of all, there is the rapture. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul wrote, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The word caught up is the source for our word rapture. You are probably aware that the word rapture actually is not in Scripture. But it comes from those words caught up. Now what does that mean? That the church will be caught up. That the church will be raptured. Kenneth Wiest gave a rather intensive description of what that means. He says, first of all, it means to catch away speedily. And that is reflected in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where the Bible says in Acts 8:39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. All right, so that is a part. It means to snatch away, to be caught up speedily. He also says it means to be seized by force. And we see that reflected in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. All right, so to be caught up then, to be raptured then, in part means to seize by force. Apparently, there are those times when people are not ready to leave. You might recall the story in the Old Testament when God sent the angels to Lot to announce that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and that he needed to remove his family. And so in Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, it says, And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. 
So God then sent a messenger to Lot saying that my judgment is coming. Get ready for my judgment. Get your family to safety. But the Bible says, but he hesitated. He wasn't ready to leave. The Apostle Paul says the second coming is the blessed hope of the believer. Now, I'm not asking you to display any reaction, but let me ask you. Is the idea of the return of Jesus a blessed hope in your life? Now, when you heard that the Lord was coming back on May 21, my guess is your first impression was, well, that's a bunch of baloney. The Bible says that no one knows the date nor the hour. I really don't believe that. But was there a little hesitation, a little quickening in your spirit? But what if it's true? And if it's true... Would you be excited about it? I mean, don't, don't, don't display anything. I'm asking you in your heart, would you really be excited if this were the last day of your life and the Lord were to come back? See, I remember years ago in the first church that I pastored, I preached on the subject of the second coming of Christ. Stephanie was probably seven or eight years old at that time. And so she went to bed that evening, and then she got up out of bed and came down and crawled up in my lap, and she said, Daddy, you talked about Jesus coming back. And I said, Yes. She said, Well, I want Jesus to come back, but I was really planning to go to college. (laughs) Now, aren't most of us at that point, I mean, we want Jesus to come back. We're looking forward to the rapture because we're supposed to. But, you know, I really wanted to go to college. I want him to come back. I just don't want him to come back today. So it means to seize by force. And then we says it means to claim for oneself. And that is reflected in the story of the bridegroom who is claiming his bride for himself. It means to move to a new home. It means to rescue from danger. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, he said to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So it means then to be rescued from danger, that the Lord is rescuing us. So the first part then is the rapture of the church, which is followed by the day of the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now then, that speaks of judgment. So there then is the rapture of the church, the taking out of the church that is followed by the day of the Lord when God judges. Now God has judged this world before. You are familiar with that. He has judged this world before. And the Bible says that he is going to judge again during the tribulation period. Now, what holds all of this back right now? What is it that restrains this happening right now? What is it that holds the Antichrist back right now? Look at verse number 6. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Do you know what is holding it all back right now? It is the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the church. Now, I know that there are people who despise the church. And there are people who say that we would be better off without the church. Well, folks, let me tell you, there's coming a time when they're going to get that wish. And when that happens, then the restraint is removed because it is the church that is restraining the judgment that is going to come. So when we look at the rapture, the church is going to be caught up, the church is going to be taken away, and then the day of God's wrath is going to come. After that, the Antichrist is revealed. Look at verse number 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Down in verse number 8, and then that lawless one will be revealed. Now, John refers to the lawless one as the Antichrist. Bind says Antichrist, anti, can mean against or instead of. So against Christ or instead of Christ. There have been many historic characters throughout our history that people have said, I think that is the Antichrist. Well, the Bible does not identify who he is, but it does describe him. So the Scripture then describes for us what the Antichrist will be like. And when he comes, when the Antichrist comes, he will be a political leader who comes as a champion of peace. When the Antichrist comes, he is coming as a political leader who presents himself as a champion of peace. The Bible says in Revelation 6, 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, that is a description of the Antichrist, and there are Bible scholars who have read that and said because he is coming on a white horse, because he is coming with a bow, no mention of an arrow, it means that he is coming in peace. Now, he is coming in peace imitating Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Folks, Satan has always done that. Satan always imitates God. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11:14, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So understand this. When the Antichrist comes, mankind is going to be attracted to him. He is going to come as a political leader. He is going to come as a champion of peace. Now, did you notice the Bible says that he is riding on a white horse when he comes? The verse that I just read, he is riding a white horse when he comes. Well, what about Jesus when he actually comes? In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. So when the Antichrist comes then, he is coming as a political leader who presents himself as a champion of peace, as he is imitating Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and he will rule the world. Warren Wearsby wrote, He will be a peaceful political leader 
who unites ten nations of Europe into a strong power block. I'm reading a book right now that suggests this uh, block of power is not European nations, but it is Islamic nations. I haven't read enough to reach a conclusion personally, but it's an interesting thought. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. All right, so the Bible says then that there is going to be this block of nations, this power block. And they are going to give their power to this one who is presenting himself as a champion of peace. It's very easy for us today. It used to not be so much. But it's easy for us today to see how one person could rule the world, right? I mean, with all the technology we have today, we see how it could happen. I have a GPS. I'm sure you do as well. How how do they know that? Every time you make a curve, you turn onto another road, that thing is pointing right there where you are. I mean, they just, I'm uncomfortable with some of that. They know too much. Now, I have a friend, Earl Wheeler, who gave me this little globe, and and, uh, it's in my office. Right now, it's connected to the stock market. And when the stock market is up, that little globe is green. And when the stock market is down, that little globe is red. The red bulb, I think, is just about burnt out. But it's red. (laughs) But you know what else? With that little contraption, I can hook it up to Linda's credit card. (laughs) And every time there's a transaction, I know about it. I mean, we see all of this technology, so we see today how it would be possible for one person to rule. And then we hear people constantly talking about one world currency, that we're moving to one global currency. Think of the, of the implications of that. And then one world religion, that the false prophet is going to lead during the tribulation period. I hear people say oftentimes, well, you know, Christians and Jews and Muslims and Hindus all worship the same God. They just call it by different names. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, that makes sense. Are you kidding me? Don't go tell a Muslim that. That we're all worshiping the same God. And see what the response is. The Antichrist is going to come and establish peace for a brief time. Now, this was prophesied in the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesies about three periods of time. In Daniel 9, verse 24, he said, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Warren Wiersbe wrote, the word week refers to a period of seven years. Seventy weeks, then, are equal to 490 years. So that is broken into three periods of time. There is, first of all, the seven weeks. That would be 49 years. The seven weeks refers to that period of time for the rebuilding of the temple. Now then, after that seven weeks, then there are 62 weeks. 
Daniel 9.25 says, From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, there will be seven weeks, that is the rebuilding of the temple, seven weeks, 49 years, and 62 weeks. So according to the prophecy of Daniel, at the end of 434 years, then the Messiah is going to come. He is going to be born. He is going to be cut off, according to Daniel, or crucified as he was. So we have this seven weeks, and then we have 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. And there's 70 weeks of Daniel. So between week 69 and 70, there is a parenthesis that we refer to as the church age or the day of grace. That's where you and I live today. Very different from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when someone blasphemed the Lord, they could be killed. When, when the nations did wrong, they were judged. All of those things that you're familiar with doesn't happen today. I mean, people blaspheme the Lord all the time. Nothing seems to happen to them. Why? Well, because we are living in this period of grace. It is a different dispensation. It is a different period. But it is going to someday come to an end. Because we are going to get to the 70th week of Daniel. And the 70th week of Daniel is that seven-year period of tribulation. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 says... And he, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put up a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So after three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to reign for seven years. After three and a half years, there is no longer going to be, he is no longer going to be a ruler of peace. Now, there are three periods of time mentioned by Daniel. There are two princes mentioned by Daniel. The first is the Messiah. In Daniel 9.25, he says, Messiah, the prince. The other is the Antichrist. In Daniel 9.26, he said, And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So he is prophesying about the destruction of the sanctuary. Wearsby says, The people of the prince that shall come are the Romans. For it was they who destroyed the city and the temple in A.D. 70. So the Antichrist is going to come as a peacemaker, a champion of peace, but then he is going to break the peace. For three and a half years, he is going to reign in peace. And at the end of that three and a half years, he is going to lead in apostasy. Verse number three. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. The Antichrist for three and a half years is going to reign as a ruler of peace at the end of that time, The Bible says that he will take over the temple, demand the world worship him. This is what the Bible refers to as the abomination of desolation. It is then that the tribulation we read about in Revelation begins. Revelation 13, 17 says, And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Now, this is that time of tribulation. No one is able to buy. Now, listen. Think about it. We have a leader here who has all this power, if you do not have the mark of the beast, you can't buy, you can't sell, 
You're going to suffer enormously. The Bible says that there's never been a time like it before. It's going to be a great time of suffering and then killed if you do not have the mark of the beast. That's what the Scripture says. Well, that brings a question to people. Said, but Do you think anyone can be saved during the tribulation, during that seven-year period of time? Do you think anyone can be saved? I do. Because in Revelation chapter 7 indicates the salvation of many who will be martyred for their faith. Well, you say, well, okay, that's not too bad. Then if I happen to miss the rapture, I can still get saved. Now, let's think about that. Folks, if you have difficulty committing your life to Jesus, where people are praying for you, where you can come to church peacefully, and when the Holy Spirit is drawing you, and you resist. Why in the world do you think you would commit your life to Jesus because you knew you would be killed if you did? Now, there will be people who will do it, and they will be martyred as a result of it, but it's going to be very difficult. It's after this, after this tribulation, that the Lord is going to return and fight the battle of Armageddon, and He is going to prevail. The Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 2, And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And then after that seven-year tribulation, the Lord Jesus, I believe, is going to return to this earth, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is going to be the judgment of Antichrist. Antichrist is powerful. Antichrist is going to have enormous power, but not the power of the Lord. If you look at verse number 8, and then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. The Antichrist is going to be defeated, and those who have rejected Jesus are going to be judged in verse number 10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Those who reject the Lord will be judged. Well, let me just conclude. There's coming a, a day when the end is going to come. May 21? No. October 21? I don't know. Today? Perhaps. A hundred years from now? I don't know. But I know that the Lord is coming again. What we do need to know is that we are ready when He comes. And my friend, if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I plead with you that you do. That you willfully make that commitment of your life to the Lordship of Jesus, the true Prince of Peace. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to extend an invitation. And I'm going to encourage you that you come. We'll have staff members here, even if you don't know the question, to ask. That you come and let them pray with you and talk with you. Because if you've never been saved, it's very important that you are. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation. We pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, for those who are here without Christ, I pray today that they might be saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir is going to sing. As they sing, you come, and I will greet you as you come. But I pray that you will.